It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main And there we go, and uh, 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 we can't do anything until we see uh, Basil the dog and Lagata mm-hmm. the cat. They uh, they rule. Yeah, and, they rule. And, they and run ba- our lives. And Basil is uh, ruling today, isn't he? Shh, be very very quiet. Uh, Just so long uh, as no none of those prime trucks come down the block, we'll be good. <laughs> and of course, they do on Sundays as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, I bet there's a bunch of people out there uh, watching and saying, what do you think is going to happen today when they, when, they, <laughs> when, they, when they do the show? Well, we hope uh, only good things, okay? That's what we're thinking. We're thinking mm-hmm. that only good things are going to happen. Yes. We're ready. Are we ready for that? Uh, I don't no. have my, uh, my other one, my... Uh, my uh, Christmas, but I, I, I do have. Shut up, Wesley. If we want, okay, uh, we that, can. That contributes to it, yeah. But we could also have. I like kale, and I don't care what you think. All right, there you go, and that uh, like actually kale. that plays into uh, our show uh, very well today because uh, we're talking food. And by the way, do you like uh, our new little look here? This is because, okay. After last week, and as those of you who are regular followers of the show, thank you for your patience. Uh, And I have to thank the the Alder Critters, uh, Michelle Smith and Scott Wagesback, who uh, came back and visited with us on Tuesday. We had a special uh, conversation Mm -hmm. about recycling in Chicago. Um, And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go. It actually got picked up by Waste Dive, which is a publication uh, about uh, those kinds of issues, waste and, and yeah. recycling. And they quoted some of the things that uh, the the Alder folks said on our program last Tuesday. Um, so last Sunday, of course, we had a, a complete technical meltdown, and I, I just pulled the plug. I said, you know what? Crash I'm, and burn. <laughs> I am not going through this. Uh, my, uh, the, my blood pressure was somewhere up there. And I said, nope, 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 nope. We're just going to shut that down. And in the interim... I'll have you know, we have contacted the powers that be, uh, which is the the folks who run this software, and 
they gave us this advice. They said, well, have you tried clicking here and here? And I looked at it and I said to Kathleen, I said, they should have told us, told us that two and a half months ago. Why didn't they give us that connection two and a half months ago? Because everything seems to be working a lot better now that they did that. So mm-hmm. I'm just knocking on the table here and hoping that, in fact, uh, let's bring this down. We don't need to see that much up there. There we go. Uh, and so I've got our, our split screen here because uh, my response, of course, is not to scale back and go, well, let's just try to get through the show. No, my response is to have as many people exactly. La, da, 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 da. We do jazz hands. Yes. That's oh, it. Okay, jazz hands. Uh, and have as many people on the show as I possibly can to see if we can just make the whole thing crash one more time. So Is that why you're drinking tea and not coffee this that's morning? That's why I'm drinking tea and not coffee because, uh, well, yeah, and it's herbal tea. Just so I just calm. It's, it's chamomile. Chamomile and just calm everything down because uh, uh, I'm already so excited uh, to have these wonderful guests on the show and just so excited to, to talk today. So let's do that. Let us, let's bring in the magic screen and I have no idea whether this will work. We'll give it a go. Holy smoke. Wow. Look at that. It worked. Everything is there. Even us with the double screen up in the corner, um, which you asked me about, well, how do, how do we get up there? I said, I don't know. I guess I'll figure it out, and there we are. Uh, welcome, folks, to a, a, a very badly needed conversation, if you ask me, about food uh, and uh, serving it, our restaurants, our food providers, uh, the folks who make us happy by running taverns, and what the heck are they going to do this winter as uh, things get colder? I mean, it's just started uh, now, if you were out last night, there were some flurries here in the city. Some people have gotten snow already. Rick DeMaio will be on later in the show, our meteorologist, to talk about that. But what that means for the restaurant business is not good right now, uh, anywhere in the country. So we've decided to talk about what's happening in Chicago and bring in uh, a couple of friends uh, of the show up in the upper right hand corner as you can see is uh, Michael Cameron he's the co-owner and founder of Uncommon Ground Restaurant uh, actually restaurants with an S there are a couple of them one in Lakeview one in Edgewater Michael good morning how are you good morning uh good so nice to see you on a on an early Sunday morning yeah exactly <laughs> uh, and I guess uh, I'm not sure how often you're up this early. I don't know. I maybe I, I get the feeling if you run a restaurant, you're up 24 seven, pretty much, aren't you? Yeah, uh, we're usually night night people. It's been uh, a definite change. So, you know, I got a big pot of coffee going here. So you know, <laughs> everybody's cheers. got the coffee except me. <laughs> Although I do, I, I from a friend of mine, I do have a piece of Kringle. So this is going to be my Ooh. breakfast. Yeah, it's raspberry Kringle. Uh, thanks to my friend uh, Jackie Krupka, uh, who is one of my carolers. And, and believe it or not, I was out caroling last night uh, with masks. We're all masks and social distance and out in the cold. Nobody's going indoors for anything. It's a weird year to be a performer. And, and that's it. That's the other thing, because you guys have performers at your restaurants that has been put mm-hmm. on hold. Everything has been put on. We'll get to that that question about what's happened and, and where we're going with it. But let's go to our, our second guest uh, in the lower left, and that's Michael Ro- Roper. Um, and uh, 
He is the owner of Hop Leaf Bar in Chicago since 1992. Um, and I have a confession to make, Michael. Oh, by the way, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Um, Things are good. Uh, great. Well, they mm -hmm. are. And we're going to compare a couple of things here because uh, Michael Cameron runs uh, the two restaurants. They've decided they're going to gut it out through the winter. You run Hop Leaf Bar or Tavern, whichever you call it. And you've decided the better course of valor is to shut down now and get back when things are closer to normal. Is that right? Yep. Yep. We have basically decided to mothball uh, hop leaf uh, as long as it takes for things to be safe again. Yeah. And I have a confession to make, which is uh, when you started it, I was living about six doors down on Foster hmm. Avenue. Um, and, uh, I frequently came to the bar and I also, and having a theater background, a lot of the theater folks used to go to the bar as well, as you know, and still do probably I've moved since then to, uh, uh, Logan square. Uh, but happily was one of my favorite establishments, uh, in the neighborhood. It's a really a terrific place. And then I came back a few years ago and I went, Holy smoke, you guys have really expanded. You, yeah. you went from a simple bar and you added food and uh, a back room and patio and a lot of stuff, didn't you? Yep. We, we, we went from 60 seats to 269. Wow. wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, Michael Roper. And then finally in the lower right-hand corner, and we tried to get the, the VMix to work. It was not really doing it for us. So we, we I, I swore I was never going to try to go to the Skype again, but, here we are, and in the lower right-hand corner, we've got a photo of our friend Marty Travis from Spence Farm, uh, which is a 160-acre small organic farm um, in Fairbury, Illinois. Marty, are you with us? Hey, Mike, I am. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you yep. okay. I'm going to try something. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Uh, every once in a while, I might mute you because there's some weird sounds coming yeah, back. Yeah, there's this... Yeah, this garbly sound coming in. Yeah, it's sort of a weird uh, Skype connection, but at least I know where it's coming from right now. So, <laughs> Marty, thank you uh, for being patient with us and for uh, going. That was Plan C, I believe, uh, this morning. <laughs> but it worked. Uh, but it worked, and we've got you on the Skype. And uh, we had Marty on the show right at the end of August um, talking about the uh, Down at the Farm, which is uh, a, a, a a consortium of farmers that you put together where you were delivering food to Chicago. Um, that has spun off into a couple of, of local operations. Tell us a, a little bit about it, Marty. Well, we historically for the last 17 years supplied restaurants um, with produce from our farm and about 50 other uh, small farms here in central Illinois. We are acting as an aggregator and marketer delivery all of that and when the the shutdown happened we went from 35 restaurants down to three the next week but in, in that week. same week yeah in a week <laughs> in a week um but we also then switched to being able to to take to 150 individuals that same week ah. um and that saved that saved our butts and mm -hmm. 
so now it was super hard to do that for two months just in in packaging and all those things so we developed a relationship with um village farm stand that was created there in evanston, in evanston. and now they take product um in bulk divided into individual orders and are doing the retail side but we've got probably three or four other folks doing the same kind of thing uh, which has helped tremendously tremendously so yeah marty are you at dose farm stand as well in chicago marty can uh uh you also created you also created dose farm stand right that's right yep working with dose urban cantina they're now um a, a second uh location in the city uh we also work with urban canopy star farm good juice harvest og is a new operation on the south side so there's there's many many options that we now have in addition to still taking care of our restaurants well what i need you to do because i was only aware of the two village farm stand which is in evanston and dose farm stand which is in the city of chicago uh you need to get me a list of all of those Mm -hmm. folks you're working with so that we can post it so that folks can know this is where they can go to get uh uh, the freshly grown produce and, and other products from the the farms with whom you work. Uh, so when when we're done with this, you got to get me that list and yeah. we, w- we will definitely post it. All right. So that's sort of our, our introduction here to the folks uh, on board. So let us uh, start with you, Michael, because I've known you the longest. Uh, you've been around uh, for about as long as uh, Michael Roper has been around, uh, but you started, uh, you had one restaurant, then you started the other restaurant. And what has it been like during this pandemic? I, I should mention that you go back a ways with the the farm to table movement. Uh, you're one of the people who are mm-hmm. pretty much uh, in on it from the get go. Yeah, uh, one of the pioneers. You, right, and and you brew your own beer. You have a rooftop, uh, organic first organic rooftop farm in the country. Great stuff like that. But the pandemic, yeah. the pandemic spares no one, does it? No, it sure, certainly doesn't. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been difficult. Um, yeah, I think Michael and I opened our operations around the same time. On July 1st of 2021, we're going to be uh, operating our Lakeview location for 30 years. And the Edgewater location just had its 13-year anniversary, and the brewery is now six years old. And, um, you know, one of the saving graces to talk about the farm real quick is that when we were completely shut down and, um, you know, both restaurants and the brewery were basically, you know, turn the lights off and wait and see what we are going to do. The rooftop farm, you know, those plants and those vegetables and those herbs and those lettuce greens don't really wait. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that gave us a a really nice, you know, get outside and do some things during a pandemic up on the rooftop farm when we could be all by ourselves. So we kept our rooftop farm uh, manager fully employed the whole the whole time and it was great because she could bring her her daughter up there with her and dig in the dirt and and uh (laughs) you know maintain because we knew we would be opening at some point in time and we needed to be ready 
to, to harvest all of that for the restaurant. So we were a little ahead of schedule this year because, you know, we had about a, oh, I would, we had about a 30 day complete shutdown and, you know, stuff kept growing. So, <laughs> you know, we had a nice big harvest when we got the restaurants open again. Uh, so you did reopen, uh, and summer was uh, uh, actually a, a really good time. Late spring, early summer, people could sit outside. Um, how long did it take you to ramp up to something like that? Well, we're fortunate in that we own the entire property at our Edgewater location. And so we took over the entire uh, parking lot, uh, spent, spent a small fortune on uh, tents and heaters and uh, fire tables and all of that. And we were able to keep our overall capacity outside because we had so much property that our tables were all like 8, 10, 12 feet apart. And we were still able to get about to about 100 people outside. So we were very fortunate the weather yeah. cooperated with us this summer. And we were pretty busy, especially in the months of uh, July, August, and even into September. And, you know, we invested in those heaters and people have been sitting outside all the way up until, you know, we even had a few tables outside, even with snow flurries under the tents. But, you know, it obviously those sales have dropped dramatically. I think we're probably at that location down to about 20% of our normal uh, income. And at our Lakeview location, our first restaurant, we have a 20-foot sidewalks out in front. And it took us about three months. But with the help of the Chamber of Commerce here, we were able to expand that sidewalk cafe, again, with tents and heaters over every table. And uh, so at least for the last couple months of the summer and going into the fall, we were able to seat about 60 people outside and even last night, you know, again, 32 degrees with, with flurries coming down. I think we had uh, eight, or, eight or 10 tables out there the whole time we were open for dinner. So, you know, the community has been very supportive of us. And without their support, we definitely wouldn't make it. But we are going to do our best to hang on and limp along through the, the winter months with carry out and delivery. And every now and then people want to come out and sit outside for the novelty of it maybe with a a blanket and a winter coat under a heater and have their hot cocoa or their spiked coffee drink and you know say that they were able to sit outside a little bit uh, and one of the things you've had to do is is really cut back on staff isn't it yeah yeah that's the, been really heartbreaking for us yeah. uh tr traditionally in the peak of our season we have about 150 employees between the two restaurants. And uh, right now that we're down to about just under 20 uh, full-time employees. So that, that is really heartbreaking and that we had to yeah. cut that many people down. And, you know, now there's for us, you know, 130 employees that would normally be working for us, you know, at least part-time to go down to that small amount, that's, it's really tough. Um, but, you know, we're going to hang in there and they all know that they've got a job when we can open up inside again. And when we get in, hopefully into the spring, summer months of 2021, we're really hoping that we can ramp back up and, and have a busy spring, summer. 
that's uh, Michael Cameron, uh, who is with uh, Uncommon Ground. Um, and so here we are. Uh, you're you're going to try to gut your way through it, but Michael Roper, you decided that you couldn't make that happen. Um, what is your plan of action, which is different from what Michael Cameron is doing? So we're we're hibernating, um, and and like I said, we're we're kind of uh, mothballing uh, the place. We only have nine outdoor tables. And um, so, it, it, you know, we did okay in the summer uh, with that. But, you know, a lot of people being safe were trying to only go out with people in their household. So we had nine tables, um, and often we only had 18 people out there because um, it was all couples. And, you know, we have a big operation normally and to be open with only 18 customers uh even though we were turning the tables pretty much every hour um it really wasn't enough to make it worthwhile so we've decided to um you know shut everything off and unfortunately we have laid all of our employees off mm-hmm. uh, when we were open this summer, we, we had brought back about 28 of our 65 employees. Um, but now we've had, uh, for the second time this year, to lay off everybody. Yeah. And, but, Michael, uh, you, you know, started summer, a – sorry, you've started a winter fund go fund me, though, for your Yes, employees. we have. We, and it's been really successful. Um, we've been able to do two disbursements to staff. Uh, from that fund and uh, you know uh, we did a little disbursement last uh, week and it's you know it's very helpful these people are a lot of them it's you know they don't have any other income at all Uh, and it's you know it's tough for me but it's really tough for them Uh, they have to pay rent some of them have families you know, it's it's a catastrophe because there's not a lot of extra help for them right now. How, how, all right, it's one thing to do a GoFundMe, but really that's not going to keep you going. What is the situation in terms of uh, the uh, help from the government? We're coming to the end of that. Did you get some of that, and are you planning to get more of it? So we, we uh, got PPP money uh, in the beginning. Uh, that's long gone. We spent that paying the payroll during the summer. Um, and uh, we have applied for other um, programs um, and we're a- awaiting uh, the answer on some of these things. Um, you know, there's, there's lots more that the government could do and uh, some of the things that they could do don't even cost the taxpayer any money. Uh, you know, we you know we did expand over the years, so we have some uh, construction loans. Uh, we do own our building, uh, so we have a mortgage. Um, it would be very helpful if the government would step in and say to the banks, "Why don't you, um, you know?" 
make that 20-year construction loan, a 21-year loan, and have a gap year in payments. And that would help a lot of places to survive. And same with mortgage. You take that 20-year mortgage, make it a 21-year mortgage. The bank gets all their money. But that one year, that gap year would be so helpful in helping us to survive. Um, you know, it's those fixed costs that drag us down. Uh, and we've done a pretty good job of eliminating almost every fixed cost in order to be closed. And, um, you know, we're prepared to be closed until April. Um, you know, maybe the, um, maybe we'll be able to open earlier if, if the vaccine, you know, gets the, you know, tamps it down. So, you know, the infection rate goes way down. Uh, that's what we hope. And then we can hire people back and get back what we do best. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get back to that uh, subject because there's still a lot more to say um, about uh, the uh, to close, not to close. Will there be any help from any government agency at this point? But I want to bring in uh, Marty because this, it seems to me, adds another layer of uh, concern to you because early on, as you said, you went from, you, you went for, for what was it? 30 customers to three overnight. And now you've got a different situation where some restaurants are starting to close because they just can't make it through the winter. Um, and is that changing the equation for you, especially at a time when farmers are not growing as much? Well, Mike, we're, uh, it pains me in some ways to say this. I mean, I, I am just heartbroken by the stress that a lot of our chef and restaurant friends are having to experience on our side of things. We, we have dramatically had the best year ever in 17 years. Um, our sales are solid. The restaurants that seem to have pivoted, um, to do takeout and, and offer, other things have seemingly done well. Most of our major accounts are off probably doing only 20, 30% of what they would typically do. But not only now are we representing farmers, but in the last few months, we've started to represent chefs so that basically we're selling product to our chefs. They're creating take and bake or take home. And I'm offering that on the list to all of the retail customers who can't go to, you know, those restaurants and have a sit down meal or may not be able to travel to the city because we've got a, a whole, a whole population, a community of folks downstate that we deliver to each week. So like last week, I sold thousands of dollars worth of chef products in addition to all of the farmers produce and proteins. And we, we've been delivering that and trying to, to bring in at least some sense of, of revenue for some of our chefs and keep them um, at least, you know, in a positive state of mind as best we can. 
I'm I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that, and this is something that we heard before, Peggy and I, earlier in the year, that some farms were doing very well. But you're saying that generally the farms you're working with, with have done exceedingly well this year. Um, at the end of the third quarter, we had surpassed all of our sales for last year, which was our best year ever. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So here we are. Here's the yin and the yang of the pandemic with the restaurants you know michael has to close hop leaf now just to get through uh and hope he can get through uh michael's going to be gutting it out uh through the winter hoping folks will uh uh support them and and we'll talk about how they can what are the important ways to support you and yet here you are uh working uh marty with with these farmers who have done well and obviously uh does this mean and we just have like a minute and then we're going to break are we looking at a paradigm shift in the way farmers uh plan marty yes absolutely we we are working with all of our farmers to not just reimagine but recreate this food system in a way that is equitable efficient and we're trying to bring this 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 uh, model uh, and fashion it across the country with the relationships between farmers and chefs and consumers. Wow! All right, that's that's fascinating, I'm, and I'm sure that uh, uh, one of the things Michael Cameron and I talked the other day, and he said I'm really interested to talk to Marty because there might be some things I can learn. I got a feeling. You guys are going to be having some kind of dialogue. There's here. a meeting coming up soon. Yeah, yes, I, I, I sense that. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. So, well, let's talk about that. What you can learn from yeah. Marty and Marty, what Marty can learn from you, Michael, and and, uh, and the village farm stand mar- uh, market concept. Yeah, and and all of that. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking food and the winter and pandemic, and we'll have more when we return. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. Now that we've put away our gardens for the winter, it's time to start indoor gardening. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. 
We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. That, that thanks to uh, Randall, who's uh, no longer working with us, but uh, he put yeah. that together many years ago. Yeah, well, while well, you're spinning the dials there, yep. um, McHenry County College's Center for Agrarian Learning continues to create opportunities for folks to learn about growing food and working with the earth. In January, Atina Diffley, organic vegetable farmer and author of the award-winning memoir, Turn Here Sweet Corn, Organic Farming Works, will be presenting two workshops of two sessions each. Both feature valuable skills for new and established farmers. The first is record keeping made easier strategies and systems on January 13th and 20th. The second is crop planning for market needs and profitability on January 27th and February 3rd. And as part of your registration, you'll receive either the wholesale success manual or direct market success manual, an $80 value. Both are published by Family Farmed, which is also supporting these workshops. By the way, if the name of Tina Diffley sounds familiar, she's been a guest on our show and she knows her stuff. So go to mchenry.edu slash C-A-L to find more information. That's mchenry.edu slash C-A-L. All right. Welcome to, back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, so, by, by the way, I'm holding up Marty's book for... Uh, oh, yeah. T uh, tell us, Marty, so, tell us about my... your, your book, all right? Sure. Um, so every year... We come up at um, the week, our last delivery week is usually the week before Christmas. And then we take the week of Christmas and New Year's off. So a couple of years ago, I just decided that I was going to write a book in that two weeks. And that's um, a book that you're probably showing and called My Farmer, My Customer. And it's kind of a, a relational book for farmers, but also people that eat to understand each other's world a little bit better. And um, Acres USA has published it, and mm -hmm. um, it's finding its way across the world, it sounds like. I've got an interview to do <laughs> next week with um, a, a farming association in Australia, and they've been featuring the book for the last uh, month or so. So that's been and fun. And Marty just spoke at the Acres Eco Ag Conference last week, I believe. Uh, yeah, you spoke at the uh, Acres Eco Ag Conference last week. Yep, yep, I did that. Um, and doing a an essay for them presently uh, for next week. And I think we had like three hundred and fifty folks show up for for that um, presentation. And and I'm. Uh, this is very interesting because you talk about a paradigm shift with, with farmers. Meanwhile, you're talking to farmers all over the world. I, I see that you've done this in Kuwait and Brazil as well as the United States. 
Yep, yep. Um, there's there's a huge interest in in understanding how best to to make food available direct from farmers and how farmers can play a major role in in the health of of our communities. Uh, and uh, it's obviously necessary all over the world, especially during times of a pandemic. Uh, let's get back to the subject of to close or not to close a restaurant, because something you sent me the other day is very uh, interesting, Michael Cameron, from a friend of yours who works with the Illinois Restaurant Association. And um, he's uh, there. Let's let's say there, there's a dichotomy here, isn't there, Michael? There's some people think. What 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 is the dichotomy here? Because I, I I'm going to get myself uh, messed up here. But but the, you you and uh, your friend who's T.J. Callahan don't see eye to eye. And and how is that? Well, no, I think we agree on a, on a lot in as it, in regards to keeping our restaurants open. And I think uh, we agree on more than we dis- disagree on. I think. You know, when you're a member of the Illinois or the National Restaurant Association, they're, you know, a pretty big, powerful lobbying group. And there's a lot of people in that organization that are lobbying to get restaurants to open indoors again. That's it. 25, yes. 50%. And, I, you know, we, I think Michael, you know, Roper and I are, are of the mind, you know, Michael closed completely. We never reopened indoors at all. Um, we just felt it was when we saw the numbers ticking up, we just didn't really feel it was safe. I I've got regular customers that are emergency room doctors and nurses that live in the neighborhoods of both of my restaurants. And so when this started really popping back in March and April of this year, you know, we reached out to those people and asked, you know, you're, you're on the front line, tell us what you think. And they asked us, they said, look, we'll, we'll support you. We'll order carry out delivery. We'll, you know, we'll come pick stuff up. We'll come get growlers of beer. Please don't open your restaurant indoors. We're just seeing too many people getting very sick and too many people dying. And, you know, you get people inside in an enclosed space, even with proper ventilation. And, you know, you have a cocktail or two and your inhibitions are down and you forget to put your mask on. And before you know it, you know, you're getting all of the people around you infected and if, if you know you have COVID or not. And so we decided, let's just, let's power through with outdoor only. I think where, where TJ and I very much agree on is that, you know, this, this fighting at, at the federal level in regards to another round of some type of support, we really need that. All of the restaurants really need that to survive. And, you know, any time of, of type of stimulus package right now, whether it be anywhere near what the last one was or even half of that um, would be a game changer, I think, for a lot of restaurants to be able to either A, hibernate and pay their mortgage or pay their rent and pay their employees or B, keep the restaurant open and bring employees back and get them uh, on some form of payroll so that they can pay their rent and stay viable within their own communities economically. And, you know, I told you earlier, you know, when we have 130 of our employees out of work, that's 130 people that aren't out there 
spending money and mm -hmm. shopping for the holidays and also going out and, and eating or drinking or having carry out delivery. So it, it's very frustrating at our level to see that the federal government is having fights between parties when they should be getting to the table and supporting the people that put them in office. And we need it right now. I mean, there's no more waiting around. We need, we need, we need help right now. You know, we need to get a, some type of grant or PPP money to get our employees back to work and to keep our restaurants open. Yeah. Yeah. That, that money does need to come uh, from, mm -hmm. from the federal government because the States can't do it. The States are strapped. Um, and, you know, I know you don't want to be political, but that's why, why you have a radio show host here who, who can say there, there, there was a two, $2.2 trillion package on the tables uh, four months ago. Then there was a, 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 a whatever, the compromise, $1.5 trillion. Um, we know who, who are the obstructionists on this, okay? And they're, and they're not the Democrats. Oh, yeah. It's not the Democrats, all right? They, they, right? they wanted to save restaurants. They wanted to save businesses. businesses. They wanted to get this money out into people's pockets so they could spend it. And it ain't happened because of the other side that's let's 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 be simple and clear about this all right um do you uh, uh michael roper uh not the political side but uh the uh the physical side of that obviously you agree because you shut down you just decided that it's too dangerous and speaking and and peggy will agree because peggy and i've talked a lot about this over the past few months when i walk into a store and i don't do it very often there's uh, I can hear tick, 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 tick going on in my head, which is I got a few minutes to be in here and then I got to get the heck out because uh, I'm just aware that the longer you're inside, the more danger you're in, the, the bigger risk you're taking. And obviously, Michael Roper, you felt that way, too. Well, yeah, the, here's the thing that I that I gave a lot of thought to is that um, when people come to a restaurant or a bar or a cafe um, that allows you to have a table of four or six, eight, even 10 people. You can reduce your house sorry. garbage 30%. Sorry. <laughs> That's my fault. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I had the wrong, I had the wrong thing up there. I got, I got a little careless, got a little lazy. Let's, let's go That's back. Okay. And, okay. Let's, let's go back to you. Start. The, that yes. There we go. So, so the thing is, is, it's very unlikely that all those people live together. Uh, so if you have four or six, eight people at a table, they're coming from different households. And no matter how far apart we keep the tables and the fact that our staff are wearing masks and gloves and all those things, those people sitting at that table together uh, are taking their masks off to eat and drink and talk. And they are only like two feet apart. They are right next to each other. And they're not from the same household. And we saw this over and over and over. We saw people getting together who clearly hadn't seen each other in a while because they were all like, you know, very happy to see each other and, and everything. And, you know, uh, it just popped into my head. These people are not from the same pod. They are gathering from different pods, and this is a an ideal method to spread a virus. Mm -hmm. So unless you uh, you only allowed two tops in your restaurant, uh, you are going to be part of the problem. Um, you know, and in fact, 
the majority of the parties that we were serving were couples, um, you know, and that was a problem in as far as profitability. So you have, you know, all these four top tables, but you only have two tops at most of them. But occasionally a party of six comes in, a party of four, a party of seven. And when that happens, that's a opportunity for the virus to spread. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, let me uh, go to Marty. You didn't hear most of this, unfortunately, but we're, we're talking about how careful the restaurant and bar owners have had to be uh, keeping people away from COVID. Um, one thing I'm going to sure. point out, and you and, and and Michael, Michael, you guys have seen this, uh, is as you say. Michael Roper, people get careless, um, and then they do dumb things like they wear the the mask below the nose, um, and sometimes I just want to whoop these people upside the head and say, um, that's not how you do this, okay? Uh, and then, of course, the, there's the people who would just refuse to wear a mask, and I can understand uh, you being concerned because obviously you don't want people saying, well, I got sick at that establishment when I went in there, Um and Marty, I guess I'm going to ask you, uh, farmers work outdoors, but you've also had to uh, bring your, your, your goods into the city and you've got these uh, operations. Have you uh, been concerned about the uh, safety of your people? Absolutely. From the beginning, um, we've asked our farmers when they deliver to the farm, to our farm, to, to wear masks to have gloves, um, to take great care, not to have more than one farmer in a cooler, um, putting their product in at a time. And then when we deliver, um, I usually have one of the other farmers riding with me and, and he's been, been with me all, all through this, this year. Um, we're masked. Um, we, pretty much at this point are trying to get most all of our restaurants to where we can just drop outside their door. So we're not even going into the restaurants as much as possible. Um, And then when we're back into the truck um, before, you know, we'll open the door and we've got our sanitizer. Um, We sanitize our hands and then take, uh, you know, take the, take the next uh, restaurant delivery. So it's, it, there's a, a process that we go through, um, you know, it's just, we've got to be really careful because, you know, we're going in between those places too, but, but I have to say overall, I'm relatively comfortable with um, the care that we're taking and, and the distance and all of those precautions that doesn't mean that we're totally immune by any stretch, but at least I feel like we're, we're doing our due diligence as best as we can. Well, that takes us uh, to the idea that uh, the vaccines are, are starting to be rolled out. Um, and I think the problem with that, uh, because of our 24-7 coverage and every day you hear something about it, and Monday, I guess, uh, it's actually going to really start happening the problem is uh, we're not going to have these for months, months and months and months, and we're in the darkest part of the winter, which gets us to, Michael Cameron, your uh, your difficulty in, in getting through right now. 
Uh, what what are your plans to get through, and how is it that you want people to support you, but there are ways that they should do it. For instance, uh, you and I talked the other day, and I mentioned an article that some of you might have seen in the Chicago Tribune um, about restaurants that decided they were going to offer Thanksgiving meals um, and then got overwhelmed. They had, you know, they had 10 times as many as they thought they would have, that sort of thing. And what that shows is uh, if you're getting all of your business on one day, it's good, but that doesn't really help, does it, Michael Cameron? Right, yeah. Well, it's funny. I have these conversations with my management and uh, front of the house and back of the house staff about, you know, it. You're we're in the business of hospitality, right? And so you, um, when you're in a pandemic and you're doing 20% or 40% of what you would normally do, you cut your staff way down and then you ask the community to support you. And uh, we were very fortunate. I, I sent an email out to our mailing list. I think we've got like 20,000 people on our mailing list. And that next day, or even the day that I sent the email out, I mean, we were literally overwhelmed by carry out and delivery orders at a level that we had not seen since the start of the pandemic which was fantastic. I mean, amazing. We are so happy and pleased that our community supported us at that level. But it was I, like, I, oh, I, man. Michael, I, I, have to, I, have, I have to admit that this is why you're on the show. I got that email. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I, and, yeah, and I got the email, too. And Peggy yeah. got the email. Yeah. And we said, uh-oh, Uncommon Ground says they need help. So let's see right. what we can do. So they all responded at once. And you go, great, but... Right. Yeah. You know, I, I actually sent out a, a thank you to a lot of people saying, hey, you know, that was great. Um, you know, keep it going. <laughs> you know, instead of, uh, you know, 100 orders on a Saturday night, you know, it'd be great to see 20 orders on weeknights, you know, of people that are supporting us. So a lot of people are doing that. I, I'm very fortunate that we actually own our own organic brewery here as well. It's right at the restaurant. And so we're offering really uh, deep discounts on howlers and growlers to go the three days leading up to Thanksgiving. We did a 50% off uh, discount and sent that out to our mailing list. Mm -hmm. I had uh, bartenders at both restaurants all of those days from the time we opened until the time we closed filling growlers and howlers, which is amazing because we have a lot of beer to sell. And, beer is, uh, <laughs> a and that's one of the growlers product. behind you. Yeah, I've got so I've got my little display back here to say, you know, we're doing fun stuff. We did a we did a limited edition uh, release where I partnered with Koval and Metropolis uh, because they're both certified organic as well. We did a coffee and whiskey infused stout that we released yesterday. So, you know, just sending that email out, all of those people are rolling in and buying two and four and six packs of this to give away to their friends and family for holiday gifts and things like that. So this, this will probably go very fast, but because we have howlers and growlers that we can sell because of our license, we can actually, we've got everything all packed up and ready to go. And you can choose from 12 different organic beers. And, and that's the best way to support us right now because you know, we brew our own beer and come on in, get a growler and a howler. There's my, there's my advertising pitch. <laughs> you know, and, and you're allowed to do that. That's why we said we were going to help you. So that's, this is one way we can help you is by, by doing this. Um, 
do you have the capacity to make enough beer? Let's say people come out of the woodwork oh, yeah. and say, uh, "We okay." So you that you're good on that. All right. And the other I've thing, my brewer on full time. Uh, so he's still working full time out of the brewery. We he actually just brewed a couple of days ago. I said, "Look, you know, let's take advantage of this time. Let's do a limited edition bomber release. Let's look into other." potential opportunities with distribution or canning, you know, so I said, we're going to have a lot of free time on our hands. So let's work, you know, chaos presents opportunities. So let's try to figure out other ways we can develop some other uh, revenue streams for the brewery because, you know, we're a seven barrel brew house, which is we brew 14 kegs at a time and I have 12 handles of that many kegs. So I have a lot of beer that, mm -hmm. to sell. So, you know, when people ask me what they can do, I'm like, well, you could carry out delivery. You could buy gift cards for your friends and family, or you could, every time you come in buy for an beer. order, pick up a couple of growlers or howlers of beer and take that, you know, put it in your fridge and bring the growler back. You know, we recycle them here for our folks. And uh, it's just a great way to keep our name in everybody's refrigerator. Uh, but as we said, uh, the winter hasn't even started officially. Um, and, yeah. and Christmas will be done in two weeks and mm -hmm. you will need a, a, a steady stream of revenue. So one of the things that I got out of the email you sent was if you're going to support us and we really want you to support us, could you see if you could do it on a regular basis? That will really help, won't it? Right. Absolutely. So I've, I've, had, I've talked to a lot of our regular customers in the neighborhood and, you know, they've all said, hey, we're ordering from you like once or twice a week. And we're, we're talking about for the whole family. And we have a lot of regular customers in both communities where I'll see an order come in. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's somebody just placed a two hundred and fifty dollar order because they bought some hats and some T-shirts and they bought some mm -hmm. pint glasses. They're finding all the kinds of ways that they see our merchandise on our website just to do bag stuffers to support us at a level that normally we might not be supported at. So that's really the key is, you know, carry out delivery used to be 10, maybe on a good uh, week, 15% of our overall revenue. Very soon, as you see these temperatures dipping into the low 30s or maybe even 20s, it's going to be a hundred percent of our business. Wow. And so, you know, that, that becomes a, a really tough scenario and, you know, we can only scale down so much to turn the lights on and to serve people well still. So, you know, we're kind of at that bare bones rock bottom minimum right now. So we're just trying to get more people to order carry out delivery as a, as the weather gets colder. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, you're not alone. There's a lot of places in the city that have exactly the same problem. So and, if and it, suburbs and suburbs, uh, and oh, across, yeah. across the nation. Uh, so if you have a favorite restaurant that you don't want to go out of business, you don't want to see go out of business, figure out if there is a way you can support them on a regular basis somehow. Uh, Michael Roper, you're shut down. How can people support you? Well, we, you know, we are shut down, but it, you know, via our social media and our website, we have been doing some little things to bring some money in, uh, you know, selling uh, uh, bottles of wine from our inventory, uh, selling gift cards, selling uh, glassware, things like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very small revenue stream. And, but uh, whenever we do, 
post something on our social media or put it on the website, uh, you know, the customers come out. They really want us to survive. And um, so there are little ways uh, in the meantime, you know, while we're closed that people can help us. And then, um, you know, we hope that as we do reopen, and whenever that is, that people um, you know, really, really come out and support us then, because we have we have a big catch up to do. Yeah. Um, it's going to take you know. It's not like you turn the faucet on and it's going to be all wonderful again. It's it could take us two years to recover from this after the pandemic ends. That's what people aren't you know maybe aware of is that you know we have deferred a lot of payments. Um, but when the pandemic ends, we're going to have to start paying more to make up for that. So, um, you know, people need, when the pandemic ends, we hope that people, you know, really, really make an extra effort to support places they like. Because yeah. I think we're going to find some places are going to go out of business uh, a year from now yeah. because of the pandemic. Because that's a really good borrow money the yeah. stay open. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's that's really good to keep in mind is that when places come back, uh they're they're gonna be under the gun. So you don't yeah. relax. If you're a customer, you don't relax in six months or eight months or a year when things um yeah. start to approach approach normalcy. Habits have changed too, you know. Yeah. And we want people to get back in the habit of coming out again. And we're a little nervous that some of the habits have changed. Well, yeah, and, I think uh, I think people have they are going to have in their heads for a long time. It's scary to be indoors, and I think that is something that you guys are going to have to fight. Um, that's going to be tricky. Uh, uh, we just have a, a couple of minutes here, so let's. I want to wrap up with Marty and uh, Marty. So, how is it that folks can support the farmers you're working with? Uh, obviously, uh, going to those. Uh, uh, establishments like uh, Village Farm Stand uh, that have been set up. Um, uh, what what do you have in mind? Well, uh, it's not just us as as farmers in our group. I just feel like it's important for for all of us to support farmers, the restaurants that support the farmers. Every opportunity that we can. Um, really dial in and purchase things locally and really understand that our dollars make a huge difference in how we spend them and where we spend them. Um, it's, it's hugely important. And if, if we're going to keep our communities strong, we need to invest in those communities um, with our, not just our words, but also our dollars. And, and that's, that's my hope that, that we can all do that. Fantastic. It's a great way to, to wrap it up. Uh, what I'm going to do, Marty, I'm going to connect you and Michael Cameron because you didn't really have that dialogue uh, going today that we wanted, uh, unfortunately. But uh, your contribution, Marty, has been wonderful nonetheless. Uh, and Michael Cameron at Uncommon Ground, Michael Roper at Hopleaf, I'm wishing you all the success in the world uh, as we go through the winter. The two of you, please, please stay in touch. Marty, obviously, I want you to stay in touch with me as well. We're going to be following up on this as we go through, because I think come February, people are going to want to know, how's it been? How are you guys doing? 
what what does the future look like right now uh who knows what could change by then so uh thank you all for being here today thank, thank you, you. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we're talking solar energy. Boy, just lots of fun here today. We'll we'll be right back. (laughs) Hi, I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Let me ask you something. Have you ever considered having a professional arborist prune your trees? You and your trees will benefit from it, and I can show you why. Follow me. One of the more common reasons for pruning is the removal of dead branches. Now, in truth, with a little help from the wind, a branch like this would simply break off and fall on its own, but in a very uncontrolled way. And a branch this size falling from this height could be a very serious hazard. Our team of arborists through pruning will ensure that these branches make it to the ground in a safe way. Staying clear? All clear. When necessary, we can use ropes and rigging gear to control branches once they're cut, protecting anything of value that might lie below. You'll notice that when a branch simply breaks off on its own, it usually leaves behind a stub. And it seems harmless enough, but this is actually now an impediment to the tree's natural process to close over that wound. By making a precision cut, an experienced arborist can expedite that process, shielding this site from pests and decay. When these lateral branches grow too long, they can actually become too heavy and break. But we know how to prune to reduce the weight and almost eliminate this risk. And we can also prune them to make sure that they don't contact your house while still keeping the tree's health and beauty intact. Stand clear. All clear. Worried about your tree blowing over in the wind? We can selectively remove live branches so that strong winds will pass through your tree's canopy more easily. You know, hazard reduction is important, but pruning can also provide harmony to your landscape. These lower branches are blocking the sun and shading out this garden, and the lawn is suffering as well. By pruning these branches, we can raise the crown and achieve the goal of sunlight. It may surprise you to know that Bartlett Tree Experts also specializes in the pruning of ornamentals. There's a lot to consider when you're pruning a tree like this, and we do it every day. So, whether it's fruit trees, shrubs, young trees, or mature, Bartlett Tree Experts can provide all your pruning needs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me And welcome back to the show. Um, and uh, 
I can. I got more room to stretch now. I see. Yeah, and uh, there's a camera. There's Lisa Albrecht. There's Lisa. Hey, Lisa. How you doing? Hey, I didn't realize my camera was off. I must have moved it on accident. You must have. Uh, Lisa is uh, a friend of the show who, well, anybody who's uh, watched the show for a long time knows that she actually used to be one of the co-hosts of of the program way back in the day at Progresso Radio down the dial. Um, And so seriously uh, improved with Peggy. (laughs) She knows what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think that's a problem. Um, and I wanted to play something because uh, we're we're. I, I was going to play one of the other things. I should have played this before. We want kale. I should have had that while Michael Cameron was was yeah. on uh, the show. Uh, but I wanted to play this uh, because it's the holiday, and I get to play a few things, and I'm sort of relaxing now that we've gotten into the second part, and we haven't Take a had deep breath. This, uh, I want one of those. Uh, I want one of those brewskis from uh from michael a growler? cameron oh, a growler how? sure why not but uh <laughs> but in the meantime all right there we go <laughs> okay who did that one that uh, oh i would have to look that up that's that's tagged on the end of um of something or other lisa albrecht is uh the proprietor of all bright solar she's also a board member of the illinois solar energy association um and you've been involved in solar issues for a long time you were going to be with us last week and uh as we know we know what happened then i'm not even going to go into it anymore uh but we're here to talk about what's happening in solar energy in Illinois, and um, it's not necessarily a good thing right now, is it? Well, uh, we uh, have a problem because we've been too successful. Um, So the industry, you know, we passed amazing legislation. Actually, my Facebook reminded me that we passed it December 9th, 2016. Uh, And here we are. It took us two years to then enact that legislation. And now, and which two years after that, is that, Lisa? It's called the Future Energy Jobs Act, um, and it um, opened the door to having a stable industry um, by creating um, a an incentive that we had anticipated would be funded through 2024. However, the industry's been so successful that here we are, two years in, uh, and we no longer have any incentives. In fact, in the first uh, two months of the program, we ran out of incentives for uh, community solar, which is a new initiative in Illinois that's happening all across the country that's really exciting, where you are able to build large solar fields out in farms, perhaps land that they don't necessarily want to farm or uh, or it's close to transmission lines, um, providing farmers with some uh, constant uh, and stable revenue. And then people like homeowners who might have too much shading or people who are renters or people who live in apartment buildings can subscribe to solar uh, and have it be their energy source. So that ran out the first two months of the program. <laughs> two in months. February, March wow. of two what, months. In February, March Let me stop you right there. Is it because yeah. the bill didn't anticipate the response to it or, or what? Well, we actually thought that we set wildly aggressive goals 
And what we found out was that the marketplace was so hungry for solar that we way undershot. Uh, in fact, when wow. uh, the coalition that was working on the legislation put it all together, people kind of mocked the industry saying, these guys can't get that done. Uh, and uh, there were over 800 applications for community solar projects and only 100 were approved. So those are being built right now. Some of two of them are actually online, which is really exciting. Uh, so that ran out in the first two months in February, March of 2020, we ran out of commercial incentives. So anything larger than a 10 kilowatt system, which is roughly about 30 panels, 40 panels, uh, that ran out in February, March of this year. And now today, uh, the, the bucket for residential solar is, is likely gone. Um, it was, out, it was gone last week in the Ameren territory. Comed will, will expire this week or today rather, um, but it's just because the renewable energy credits. These are the renewable energy credits. credits. Correct. Uh, And so we're at this strange place where we've been so successful and now, uh, despite bringing thousands of jobs that we promised, uh, we're facing layoffs before Christmas. Uh, And so here we are. We passed this uh, wonderful law that's going to bring solar energy to Illinois. The community uh, runs out very quickly. The residential, meaning if you want to put panels on your house and get some sort of credit for it so that you can uh, find it affordable, uh, that's running out. Where do we stand commercially with commercial solar? Well, the commercial solar ran out in February, March of 2020. So that's already been gone. That's been gone for, you know, the entire you know, almost pretty practically the entire year. Yikes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so that means there's no, potentially no new sales for solar in 2021. Um, we can certainly put projects on a wait list. Um, however, mm-hmm. um, and the wait list will probably move. There will be projects that don't move forward for one reason or another. Maybe someone's financial situation changed and they're nervous about making that investment or perhaps their roof doesn't pass a structural review by engineers. Um, so there will be some movement on that, but a wait list is not a way to run a thriving industry. Right. No. So Lisa, when you, when you say it's out of money, if somebody were to just want to start a project, pay it all out of their own pocket, is that possible? Or who's, who's not getting this money that would have been available? Sure. Let me explain the program a little bit. So, uh, so certainly people can purchase projects without having incentives. It happens, but it's rare. Uh, most people are going to want, you know, you're not going to walk into uh, the Gap and say, hey, listen, I know you're having a sale right now, but I want to buy these jeans for full price. Uh, you know, so people are going to want to have that incentive. And this is, an, you know, this is a large investment that people are making on their home. What happens with the renewable energy credit is it's not a handout, but it's a mandate for the state to reach its renewable energy goals addressing carbon uh, or addressing climate change. So um, the utilities in Illinois are not allowed to publicly own solar. So instead, what they do is they invest in what's called a renewable energy credit. So if you think of your home as a micro utility, you're producing the clean attribute of solar. So not the kilowatt hour itself. You get to make that power and use that power. But this is the clean attributes of of that energy. And so uh, Illinois passed legislation that requires utilities invest in solar in this manner. Um, and so uh, it would be as if you're, you know, making socks and you don't get paid for one of them. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. if you're as a, as 
an investor in solar, you're actually making a product that has value to the community. And because of the lack of renewable energy credits, you are not getting paid for that value. All right. So here we are at, at, at kind of a crossroads. Uh, and of course, the uh, pandemic doesn't help with, with all of this and trying to get things passed because there wasn't even a veto session in, um, in Springfield this fall. Uh, and yet there are a couple of uh, bills out there that might uh, help this situation and free up funds. That is to say, if the state has any funds uh, and this, you know, every, all roads lead back to Washington at some point because um, a lot of these states are not going to be able to move forward very well mm-hmm. unless they're helped out uh, uh, with some sort of relief. Is, isn't that right, Lisa? True, but I, I want to point out that this is a common misunderstanding about the legislation is that uh, the renewable energy credits, it, it is utility funded, not taxpayer funded. So these are not taxpayers, mm-hmm. co- tax dollars coming out of Springfield. These are actually, if you look at your electric bill, um, we for years have been paying for energy efficiency um, efforts. So when that, that rebate that ComEd offers you to take away your old refrigerator, that's coming from your 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 own bill. So that's a rate payer based uh, fee uh, that then gets reinvested into the community. So that's exactly what, how solar is funded as well, where there is this fund that comes from um, rate payers. So this, these are these are ComEd dollars uh, that are going back mm-hmm. in because it is ComEd who's being held to climate standards, ensuring that part of the distribution is clean energy. So we're displacing dirty energy and other places on the grid. Well, that I'm glad you explained that. Uh, so in that regard, the state doesn't have any responsibility at all. Has it put all on the utilities? Um, so yes, in a, in, in a sense of who's paying for it, um, the state does execute the program and hold uh, all of the various entities and stakeholders um, into account. So it's managed by the state agency called the Illinois Power Agency. Uh, They are the group that purchases all energy for Illinois, whether it's uh, coal, nuclear, solar, wind, hydro, they manage everything. All right. So they manage uh, the program and then uh, the funding actually comes through a rate payer mechanism uh, through both Mm -hmm. ComEd and Amherst. So the idea is what has to happen now is is free up more of the of that funding that's to come from the utilities that that is the goal here um and um I'm aware of two bills that are being proposed uh, one is called the Clean Energy Jobs Act and the other is called the Path to 100 um and they, at some point, they, they want some of the same things, but they, they do it in different ways from what I understand. Can you explain that, Lisa? Yeah, so um, the Path to 100 is a very focused bill that was written by the solar industry, um, specifically addressing the mechanisms that we know from national experience, uh, how to um, successfully na- navigate and correct the problem that Illinois is facing right now. Uh, and so our bill is very, very laser focused on just that issue and making sure that we're getting, um, keeping, keeping these solar jobs in place and getting um, solar deployed as rapidly as possible in the market. Um, the Clean Energy Jobs Act actually has uh, multiple pillars. It looks at clean, uh, 
uh, transportation, it looks at uh, additional energy efficiency standards. Um, both bills do have uh, an equity piece uh, looking at um, both jobs as well as uh, availability of um, energy efficiency, uh, solar, you know, those types of uh, programs that certainly those of us uh, in our communities who struggle the most to make our bills uh, can uh, have, have, will have the greatest impact on their households, uh, um, on their household budgets. Uh, you know, if, if you if you know if you're not bringing in a lot, but you are paying the same amount for your electric bill as a wealthy as, a, as someone in a wealthy community, then you know a much bigger portion of your of your tax or of your income is going towards utilities. So, so the Future Energy Jobs Act, or sorry, the Clean Energy Jobs Act has a number of other pillars beyond just the solar aspect. And 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 that's where there is a, a a little bit of of controversy because uh, uh, I know you you you're supporting the path to 100. You, I mean, obviously, you would love to have the Clean Energy Jobs Act uh, go through, but at this point, uh, as you said, the path to 100 is a little more focused. Uh, and and obviously, you work in the solar industry, so this is you'd you'd like to see this happen right away. Um, you sent me uh, some bullet points uh, about it. You said uh, that the Path to 100 would provide adequate funding to meet existing policy requirements. Um, it would avoid the boom and bust by establishing stable policy for continued job growth. Um, it would allow shovel-ready renewable energy projects to move forward, uh, expand Illinois' renewable portfolio standard to 40% by, by 2030, create an estimated 21,000 new jobs, $2.8 billion in new property taxes over 20 years and uh, $1.95 billion in landowner payments over 20 years, create electric bill savings for community solar and distributed solar customers. We talked just talked about community solar and expand successful programs, encouraging a diverse and equitable workforce. Sounds like, yay. <laughs> so why can't we get that through? Yeah. Well, part of the challenge of passing, and, you know, and I just want to point out that that list of bullet points are things that we've already proven we could do. So we've had two years of tremendous success. It's not as though we're just guessing we can do these things. We've already delivered these things. So what we're asking is to not stop us. Let us continue to grow. Without yeah. a fix, there will be no new funding until 2024, essentially icing the market. Wow. And we both, we all know from climate change, we do not have three years to wait. So, so I just want to point out that gone. all those jobs will be gone. Um, it, you know, and so, it, and we've also invested a ton of money in educating people and putting them in these jobs only to then in a very short period, lay them off. And it's not as though they're going to sit around and wait for the industry. We'll lose a lot of that talent to other fields. Um, you know, so it's really, really unfortunate, but um, the, Back to your question, if I can remember your question. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I distracted myself. Uh, the, the exciting part is that that we can achieve all of those things, but we just can't stop. Um, you know, with COVID, these were COVID-friendly jobs. We can, we work outside, we stay distanced, um, we have on a mask. In the instance, like this week, I had a technical visit with one of my installers. Uh, I did not go in the home. Uh, we only sent one person in, fully masked, fully gloved, um, you know, because we do need to go into people's homes to look at their electrical equipment. But we're going to try our best to minimize those risks. We ask people to wear a mask in their own house, keeping our workers safe as well. So, you know, these are safe 
jobs that also in the end are keeping people's electric bills down. Um, they're reducing the carbon emissions that the state has from um, purchasing dirty energy. Uh, and then all of those dollars are going back into our local community so that we can buy from our local restaurants uh, and we're keeping people employed. So um, it's really silly. We never should have reached this cliff. Uh, the challenge in Illinois is that um, energy policy is complex. Uh, there are many, many stakeholders, all the way up to Exelon, who owns the nuclear power plants, to the individuals who own the coal plants, to the unions who are working at, you know, at the utilities on the grid lines, uh, to the individual communities themselves. So uh, one of the challenges in Illinois is that instead of just you know, making one thing at a time, we seem to think we need to do the whole nine course meal. Whereas we could just work on the appetizer, which would be the yes. solar legislation. So Pass to 100 was a very uh, sleek, quick, easy, executable um, uh, legislation. It does not in any means mean that the solar industry is against the uh, Clean Energy Jobs Act. Oftentimes people seem to put us at odds with each other and it's not true. They're doing one thing with their piece of legislation, we're doing something different with ours. Both is possible. It's not an either-or conversation. So that, that's actually one of my biggest pet peeves is when it, we get pitted against each other as if I'm against electrification of, the, of, of transportation. I'm not. I just know from my own experience, my own company, I might not make a sale. I had four sales yesterday. I might not make another sale for six months. So, all right, you, you, you are in favor of the path to 100. How, what is the path? of the path to 100. Uh, uh, How do we make it happen? Yeah, do you have a lot of sponsors? Does it look like uh, it can move forward when the uh, General Assembly gets back in session? We're hopeful. In fact, we're even hoping that maybe something might pass in the lame deck session in January. So the governor's office has been um, leading the whole summer. Uh, there were, um, every two weeks, they were meeting to discuss uh, one um, piece uh, or facet uh, of energy policy in the state. Uh, last week, there was a meeting to look at wind siting. Um, you know, so the governor's office has been very aggressive at looking at all of the aspects, but we're trying to keep people really focused that the time that, that we can no longer talk about the hypotheticals of solar crashing, it's happening right now, today. It's here. Uh, there is nothing left in the, in the Ameren territory. There is nothing left in the ComEd territory. We've talked about this. We knew in February of 2019 that there would be this cliff, and we have fallen over the edge, and now we're desperately looking for a parachute. So uh, the, the the legislation is very simple. We've got we I think a lot of legislators know. Uh, we had a solar lobby day uh, virtually, um, and where we were able to speak to over 100 um, uh, legislative officials, and we've gotten tremendous support. There's solar in every single county. Uh, and so lawmakers know that it's affecting their constituents. So we have tremendous support. We just really need them to meet. It seems it seems odd that uh, four years ago, as as you say, we we passed this this wonderful uh, law that puts solar on the map in Illinois. And and as you say, now here we are. We're going to go off a cliff, and it could just stall completely. And it seems to me that it could undo a lot of what's been done in the past four years, or at least the past couple of years. Yeah, it could, because one of the biggest challenges that we've faced in the last two years is job training. There's more interest from homeowners and businesses than we actually have employed, experienced workers. 
So we've spent the last two years creating that pool of people, giving them the experience on the roof, giving them experience designing, coding systems, supporting them. And now we're just telling them, well, we'll see you when ever. We hope you come back. Thanks for learning. Uh, <laughs> and now you're just out of luck a week before Christmas. You know, so it's, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, we've just invested, you know, there's, there's a whole piece, millions of dollars that were spent on job training. Uh, and those were taxpayer dollars. So it's really silly that we're, that we're at this point. And, and even during the pandemic year, uh, people have been interested in solar. And as you say, it's a, uh, you can, you can do the work, uh, because, uh, you do most of it outdoors and people are, are being safe about it. But, uh, even you personally, I know, uh, uh, you do all. You run All Bright Solar. That's your company. Give you a, a ding there. Uh, <laughs> two dings. Um, even you uh, have. You've done well this year. Uh, people are interested, and they're they're coming to you with projects. Yeah. No. Uh, nationwide, actually, and, and and across the world, solar is still booming despite the pandemic, despite the economic downturn and uncertainty. People are looking, um, and this is. I also want to point out that solar is a bipartisan thing. This speaks very strongly to Republican values, personal independence, uh, you know, control of my own household. And so, you know, and then also the increasing urgency that people are feeling around climate change. Um, you know, so we're seeing a, a tremendous growth in solar. There was a slight downturn as we all tried to figure out, you know, are we safe? How do we operate? You know, and, and kind of increase those conversations uh, for personal and community safety. Um, but once we got it figured out, the entire industry worldwide has rallied and really has been a success story despite the pandemic. Yeah. All right. So if folks want to learn more, obviously, uh, one of the places they can go is the, uh, Illinois Solar Energy Association. Um, and, um, the uh, website again for that, I know it's here someplace if I found it. Uh, IllinoisSolar.org. Right, IllinoisSolar.org. Um, I also have links uh, on my website, uh, the blog post uh, for today, uh, to the Clean Energy Clean Energy Jobs Act, the Path to 100. You could you could check them out and 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 look at both of those. Um, and um, and go ahead. And can Pat. folks still sign up to um, win a Tesla? Yes, I was actually just about to mention that, Peggy. Oh, yes. okay. Uh, we are running, we actually moved the Tesla. Normally we would be doing the Tesla raffle like right now. Um, mm-hmm. However, with the pandemic and everything else, we're like, you know what, let's just give ourselves some breathing room. So we're actually doing the drawing on Earth Day. So there's a few more months for people to go out and buy the Tesla. And, you know, it's a really, it's, it's the number one funding source for the Illinois Solar Energy Association. Uh, and we do tremendous, uh, level. We actually have split our organization in half this year. We have a 501c3 and a 501c6. Um, so we have one organization that is focused on Springfield and the work that we can do to advance solar across the state. But then we also have the C3, which is our education association uh, that uh, does a lot of work within the community to educate homeowners, um, as well as the job training piece and, and a lot of a number of other um, avenues of education that are required in, in the marketplace. So uh, so the Tesla drawing is the number one way of funding all of those activities. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, – you guys have been doing this for a while. I, we've done uh, promos for it, uh, PSAs for it. Uh, 
Um, and and when did you say the deadline is? I'm looking for it on the on the site there. Where do we? Where do I? Uh, it's Earth Day. Earth Day. It's Earth Day. Okay, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. So um, go to. Uh, IllinoisSolar.org if you want to try to win a Tesla. And I think, what is it, like 100 bucks for a ticket? But, you know, if you're getting like an $80,000. $100 a ticket or three, three tickets for 300 or three or four tickets for 300 Right. Uh, so you get a deal if you if you buy a packet. And it's worth it to get an $80,000 car, isn't it? <laughs> and it's a great Christmas present. Um, I've had customers in the past that have bought a Miss Christmas present, so... Yeah, uh, and if folks want to uh, contact you personally, uh, Lisa, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, they can just try my email, which is Lisa at, now my email's a little tricky. It's Albright, A-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T, dot solar. Not a dot com or a dot org or dot anything. I'm a dot solar. She's a dot solar. So Lisa at Albright dot solar. Um, I don't know anybody else who has it. I'm uh, kind of jazzed about it. That that's so cool. That is, uh, I, you know, we need a dot uh, something for uh, this show. Dot Enviro. Dot green I don't know. or dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I don't know. We go. Let's work on your dot. Dot green. I don't know something something like that. Lisa Albrecht, thank you so much. <laughs> Always a, a pleasure to talk to you. Um, uh, I'm glad there are people paying attention to this, and I'm glad you're working this hard because obviously we need to stop pumping carbon into the atmosphere. And why not tap the energy of the sun? I mean, how how crazy is that? Really? And you put your own crazy to work. It's like a part-time job you don't have to go to. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we, we will talk real soon. You keep us posted because when things change and when you've got some movement on uh, either one of these uh, bills, uh, let us know and, and we'll talk some more. I'll definitely reach out if there's any actions as well that we're looking for people to take. All right. Uh, that's uh, Lisa Albrecht. And uh, we uh, are going to take a short break. And uh, coming up, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. Now that we've put away our gardens for the winter, it's time to start indoor gardening. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. 
Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. This is the only way that you can listen to this song. This is the only that way. Ain't George that, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> this is this might be the worst Christmas song ever written, and this is the way you do it. Is Yet it's you, everywhere. It, it it is. Well, you just you just poke fun at it if you possibly can. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I I believe Rick DeMaio, you're there, right, Rick? We 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 have we have a read though. I know. I I yep, just. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure that uh, that Rick is there. Uh, and we'll be with you in just exactly one minute, Rick. Uh, first, though, McHenry County College's Center for Agrarian Learning continues to create opportunities for folks to learn about growing food and working with the earth. In January, Atina Diffley, organic vegetable farmer and author of the award-winning memoir, Turn Here Sweet Corn Organic Farming Works, will be presenting two workshops of two sessions each. Both feature valuable skills for new and established farmers. The first is record-keeping made easier, strategies and systems. You know, I could use that. I, I'm not even a farmer, okay? Uh, anyway, that's on January 13th and 20th. The second is crop planning for market needs and profitability on January uh, 27th and February 3rd. As part of your registration, you will receive either the Wholesale Success Manual or Direct Market Success Manual, an $80 value published by Family Farmed, which is supporting these workshops. And by the way, if the name Atina Diffley sounds familiar, she has been a guest on this show. She's wonderful. She knows her stuff. Go to mchenry.edu slash C-A-L, Cal, to find more information. That's mchenry.edu slash Cal. Uh, welcome back to the show. We have uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio on board. And Good morning, Mike. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Good morning, Peg. How are you guys? Good morning. You're uh, you back know, from Florida? Uh, back from Florida. Got back on Monday. Uh, tested negative before I left. Negative, tested negative when I left. So um, I'm feeling, let's see, two negatives make a positive, right? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, where did you get tested, by the way? I'm kind of curious, isn't it? Um, here, I got tested at North Shore Media Care. This is the third time I've been tested, and then in Florida, uh, it was a drive-up CVS. Wow. I th- it's so, I, I, you know, I haven't paid enough attention to that because I haven't needed to get tested, but... What do you mean it- you haven't needed to get tested? You don't know that you need to get tested until you're sick, and then it's too late. Well, I guess. But I ha- I don't go anywhere, so uh, yeah. But it, it's still a good idea. It yeah, makes you feel better. Uh, you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I'll just yeah. uh, I'll just do that. Um, it's your civic duty. It's like voting. 
getting tested? That's the new civic yeah. duty. Is that it? I think so. Okay. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know, but I managed to get uh, audio uh, of the uh, arguments made to the Supreme Court. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all all 28 you, words? Yeah. Here, here's the audio. No, this is only, it's only 30 seconds long. And I think uh, you, 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 you were able to hear the commercial and the music coming out, right? Oh, yeah. All right. So here's the audio. Uh, that uh, the Giuliani people made uh, to the Supreme Court. But listen, it's a contract, isn't it? Oh, sure. We've got a contract, no matter how small it is. Hey, wait, wait. What does this say here, this thing here? Oh, oh, that's the usual clause. That's in every contract. That just says, uh, it says, uh, if any of the parties participating in this contract are shown not to be in their right mind, the entire agreement is automatically nullified. Well, I don't know. It's all right. That that's in every contract. That's that's what they call a sanity clause. Everybody knows this. <laughs> you no can't fool clause. me. There ain't no sanity clause. <laughs> Mike, I, it's amazing that you played that because I played that entire four minute and thirty three second YouTube clip from my parents when I was down in Florida. That's from that at the uh, opera. Oh my goodness! Yes, it is. Uh, and I just love that. That bit, oh, and, yeah. and it made me think that, yeah, that's kind of probably the argument that was going on at yeah. the Supreme Court. That's that's you, how much sense should, it made. You should post it because in the beginning, um, uh, Chico says something like, what's a duplicate? And Groucho goes, it's a family of five kids up in Canada. He goes, I don't know. I haven't been in Canada for years. And they just go on and on <laughs> about, about which part of the contract – you should read and which part should be ripped out. And it starts out like four feet long and ends up being about an inch and a half long at the end. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's got it's really, the classic bits tearing it, the paper. Yeah, apart. It, yeah. It, it's brilliant. He just keeps going. Oh, I don't know. I don't like that part either. And he rips it out and they just keep literally ripping it out until there's nothing done. <laughs> there's like a postage yeah. stamp left. Well, yep, it's really funny. It's really funny. Well, we look like we're so. I guess uh, you and I are on the same page in terms of uh, holiday <laughs> traditions here. So there you go. Our level of our level of humor is quite low, but yet it lasts eighty years, right? Uh, amazing. Yeah, it's Speaks. still funny. Oh God, Speaking yeah. Of holiday traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the end of the show, we have to talk about what we're doing next Sunday. Oh, yeah. Well, we could do that right now, real yeah, quick. Uh, Rick, next week uh, we're doing my annual It's a Wonderful Slice of It's a Wonderful Life, which is, uh, of course, the entire movie done in 10 minutes. Um, and Or 11 if we're in giggling. Uh, it'll floor, probably be more like 14 minutes, but it goes by, <laughs> it goes by pretty fast. And uh, we have a special guest star uh, next week. Well, we have several Ooh. guests, all right? We have several guests that are going to be part of it. Ron Cowgill from Mighty House Home Improvement Radio. Rich Cowgill... <laughs> from Mighty House Home Improvement Radio. Um, uh, Kayla Delia Reconquista, uh, who is uh, currently our intern, uh, will be playing some roles. Uh, Ellie Sanchez, who is our former intern, uh, will be playing some roles. And last but not least, we have Drum a roll. very special guest star, Melinda Myers, horticultural Ooh. expert, uh, worldwide horticultural expert, said, I don't know why, but she said, yes, I will play some roles. <laughs> She's a glutton for punishment. She really is. So, uh, and, and, and I will, t- I will warn you, we're going to record it during the week. We're not going to do it live because 
Uh, just too much could go wrong, um, mm. which would actually be pretty funny. But uh, we're going to record it. Uh, we're going to Zoom it this week and play it next week, and uh, it should be a blast. So uh, tune in next Sunday for the annual It's a Wonderful Slice of It's a Wonderful Life. So there's our plug for, for next week. Thank you for reminding me of that, Peggy. Uh, now, guess what? We're heading into winter, meteorological, and uh, figuratively as well, considering, or you know, compared to the weather we've had recently, Rick. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. We, we started out the month almost five degrees above normal. Um, then we had a couple of days last week where people were actually out playing golf. And um, part of it was due to the fact that not only were we, you know, 55 to 60 degrees on um, Thursday, but the ground's been really dry. And when you have dry soil this time of the year, um, it's amazing. Not only has it been dry, but there hasn't been any real permanent, you know, really super cold overnight low temperatures. So there's not a lot of like, even frost below the top two or three inches of soil. And I think that's one of the reasons why the sun has been able to warm the ground and the ground has been able to warm, you know, the lower part of the atmosphere. And it's interesting to note the two days that we got into the 50s, um, the forecast models were about five degrees off, even 24 hours out, meaning that they were thinking that, you know, the, the basic of the, or the bases rather, of the forecast model is to show climatologically ground temperatures are 32 degrees and therefore the amount of sun coming in is going to have to really do a lot of work to warm the ground and then re-radiate back into the atmosphere so the high today will be 52 but because we've been so dry the ground's been able to soak up a lot of sun rewarm the atmosphere and that's one of the reasons why two days in a row if you were watching the forecast on tv they were all almost five degrees off both days because they were probably just going you know, hook, line, and sinker with the models. But one of the things to be good at, no, I'm serious. One well, I love, to... I love the way you say that. It's like, and, 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 and it makes a lot of sense is that a meteorologist can't just look at the models and, and spew that out. You have to analyze them too. Right. Well, you, well, you got to analyze how well the forecast models are doing, you know, kind of, uh, you know, down, I should say upstream the day before. And there's only one person I actually see do this from time to time. And, and I don't want, watch a lot of TV, but Mike Kaplan on Fox in the morning will actually remove the forecasted number from the, you know, from the graphic that the, that the computer is showing, and he'll put his own number in there. He's, he's the only one that does it and then actually says that he does it because he'll say, now, if this number looks a little fuzzy here, that's because I don't agree with the computer model. It's going to be about three to four degrees warmer. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, we had a high of 57 on Thursday, full sunshine, yeah. the ground was warm, the ground was dry, and the normal high is 36, and the record was 62. I mean, when you get mm. within five degrees of the record, you know, on the 10th of December, um, that's pretty amazing stuff. Now, I didn't go back and look at where we stood from a standpoint of how many days on the 10th of December we were that warm, but I'm sure it's probably in the top three or four. And that's pretty noteworthy. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, yeah, it, it was, was a, it was a remarkable was day. Yeah. yeah. And it, mm-hmm. and it's not now. And, and uh, last two days. Um, oh, no. But yeah. I mean, you think about it yesterday in a normal winter, that would have been eight to 12 inches of snow easily. Yeah. And, and what happens? Go on, Go Peg. 
I was going to say, when, I look at Facebook photos where from two or three years ago where we had snow and ice already. Oh, yeah. I think you go back to 2016 and we had just an awful December. Um, 2014 or say 2013, we had nearly 30 inches of snow during the month. Um, again, back in 2008. So it may not be so much the first or second of the month, but you get into the 12th or 13th and you got a lot of snow on the ground. And obviously when the snow occurs, you know, you end up cooling off at night. Um, you know, you lay down that level of reflective, you know, surfaces that the sun's not going to have any chance warming the atmosphere. And, and even though we missed out on the snow, we got an inch and a half of rain. The fact that the ground was not frozen, think about that. In the normal December, if that ground would have been frozen with an inch and a half of rain, we would have had flooding yesterday. Did we have any flooding yesterday? None. Think about that. An inch and a half of rain soaked up into the soil like it was almost late October. And again, yeah, yeah, exactly, Peg. And not only that, it's been dry, but it's been warm. So the soil hasn't really gotten compacted yet. So whatever rain that fell yesterday, oh, my God, this is great for the plants and the shrubs that were planted probably in the last month of the growing season. Well, even this is- the whole year, anything you planted this year, if you put a new tree <laughs> in this year or a new shrub, um, and we've been warning folks through the second half of the year because we had so many dry spells, uh, even mm-hmm. going into the fall, that you had to pay attention. This was, as you say, Rick, excellent for those plants. Oh, oh yeah. And, and what was interesting too, Mike, is that if you tried to do like, like golf near me, all the courses were full on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could probably get out and play maybe nine holes if you were able to, you know, get like a one o'clock or two o'clock tea time. But we had to finish up at four and think about these golf courses who are trying to shut down so they can get some of their maintenance done yeah. before it does get snowy. I mean, they're looking at the calendar going, uh, we really need to shut down so we can kind of get the stuff that we need to get done before we can't do it. So I think once we reach that, you know, cold day on Friday and it was nasty yesterday, they're probably looking at the next three or four or five days is going, finally, we can get some late season prep work done because we're sure it's not going to be nice enough. We would actually open up and allow people on where we have to pay them or where they have to pay us or at least charge them. So I think officially the golf season ended on Friday in the Chicagoland area. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're well, the, you're the meteorologist from the club. It just means that there's no that there's no flag on the on the on the green peg. Yeah, but I, what I was going to say is you're the meteorologist, <laughs> Rick. You tell us whether the golf season had you know officially ended because uh, are we in a, a weather pattern change? Yeah, I think what's happened really is that we've finally begun to pull in some of the cold air to the north and west, um, and with that happening, we're now beginning to show signs at least a little bit of, you know, some polar air masses up across Canada. Um, we did have a fairly good snow across areas of Iowa, Wisconsin, and parts of Michigan. But again, we had that also in, in you know, late October, November, and you're thinking, whoa, this is not good because this could lead to some, you know, early season polar outbreaks. And, and it didn't. It got warm, the snow melted. And up until, you know, Friday, there was absolutely no snow in the upper Midwest. I think we were looking at about a 6% coverage compared to about 22% uh, this time last year. So these are the things that we're seeing more and more of is these, these bookend months of the, of the winter season, December and February, 
becoming more and more variable from a standpoint of warmth, uh, rain, snow that comes in early, snow that melts, but it does look like the pattern tries to get at least somewhat near normal over the next probably 10 to 15 days, but still nothing in the way of any significant Arctic cold coming back at us. Uh -oh. Hey, it's not my dog for once. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my... Hold on, hold on. <laughs> this never wow. happens on CNN. No. It yes, it does these days. Yeah, I guess it does. It, it actually does. It's not a big deal. That's my, that's my dog bell. <laughs> Your dog bell? I call it my dog alarm, yeah. Oh, the yeah, dog the alarm. Dog okay. alarm. Whenever, whenever he sees something walk by, he has to let them know that he's here. So, yeah, Of course. Uh, yeah. So... Um, so you're saying, uh, you, you were starting to say, but nothing in the way of, uh, you were talking about the pattern change, but, um, uh, Snow and your question. <laughs> uh, okay. Let me just, let me cut to the chase here. Are we going to have a white Christmas? Um, you know what? At, at this point I would say no. And that's only because even if we do get some snow on the ground, uh, there's a fair amount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, are, are you, the sleigh bells that, will just that, be that's, sleigh bells. That's Peggy. That, come on, show uh, the sleigh bells. She's got the sleigh bells there. Is, is, that, is that the end of It's a Wonderful Life, Peg? Is that what oh, you're doing? We might throw it in there. Who knows? <laughs> no, I was just doing the sleigh bells. If we're not having the white Christmas, we'll just, you know, we'll be not hearing them in the background, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, um, here's Donna Reed, you know, playing this perfect housewife, playing this, you know, librarian, this old maid. And then four years later, four years later, she wins an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in the movie From Here to Eternity. And what does she play? She plays a prostitute. Well, there you go. Kind of, That's Hollywood kind of, for you. Kind of, kind of versatile, huh? That, that yeah. should have been yeah. Violet's role, right? Um, anyway, um, why this no, old thing? Yeah, right. Well, when I don't care how I look. <laughs> from from what I can see right now, there's a couple of big cyclones that are moving through the area, and most of them are probably going to be moving from the west to the east, which means that we're going to have rain on the front side um, and snow on the back side. And there are some signs by the 24th to the 25th that there's a pretty decent storm coming through, which could give us, you know, some snow, maybe not a lot, but definitely somewhere in the range of maybe two to four inches. So if I was a betting man at this point, I would say that there's a better than 50-50 uh, chance of us having snow on the ground for Christmas. Not a lot, but definitely some. You heard it here. Rick DeMaio says a better than 50-50 chance of uh, snow for Christmas. This must be a tough year uh, for you uh, to do your uh, – uh, your forecasts uh, for the plowing people. The plowing people aren't doing nothing right now in Chicago. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not doing it for them this year. They've decided oh. that, yeah, that's okay. They've decided that um, they've gone into a, uh, a mode of not as many customers, and they basically said the pandemic has killed us, so uh, we're going to shoot from the hip this year. So wow. we'll see if that works out for them. Um, but I was I was waiting in the wings for you know, one of those errant phone calls or texts saying, all right, so just give me like the skinny on what's going to happen around here. And it would have been like, all right, how much? <laughs> 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 you 
Yeah, let's make a deal. Usually, yeah, usually we sign a contract way ahead of time, but um, yeah, we're not doing that this year, and that's okay. I got I got many other things still going on. So, uh, well, you do a lot of teaching. Are you still uh, 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 working with the airlines? Um, working with the airlines in what capacity? Oh, well, you have done uh, forecasts for them. I know you also just wrote a book. That oh uh, yeah oh well, I think yeah, what I was you're ask how your to, book is. Yeah, the, the book is, I gotta, I'll be working on that for about four or five hours today because I'm doing some edits for the second edition, which is going to be used for this coming spring. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the stuff that I was doing for the airlines was more so for the airport. Uh, it wasn't really for the airlines. It was for the airport. Ah. Um, and, that, and that was through the Snow uh, Plow Company. We were, we were providing forecasts for them for all the gates at O'Hare and Midway. Uh, but the stuff that I did when I was at United Airlines – that was stuff that you provided them from a standpoint of de-icing aircraft. That's a that's much much different. Yeah. Plowing is one thing. De-icing it's a whole other science to that. Um, yeah. But again, interesting to say the least. That's that's kind of like where we're going. But um, I did want to talk about a couple of quick things here. Well, is can, that can, before you do that, can I? Because I know there are going to people say going to say what book? Could you just briefly explain what your book is? Oh, all right. You know me. I don't like to talk about it much. But I know you don't. Um, yeah, I wrote I wrote a I wrote a textbook called um, Aviation Meteorology, and it's used for uh, both my classes that I teach um, at uh, Community College, Intro to Weather, and I also use it at uh, Lewis University. So it's twenty three chapters. It's separated into two parts. So the first part basically deals with you know all the different you know properties and physical physical constructed you know mechanisms that go into the difference between, you know, meteorology and weather, because meteorology is a science of the atmosphere, and weather is the result of meteorological occurrences, you know, happening in different parts of the world at different times of the year. Um, And then you apply it to aviation, and it's a whole other world, because that's what we do in the second chapter, where we do it from a standpoint of icing, turbulence, thunderstorms, hazardous weather conditions, operational meteorology at airports, what air traffic controllers have to know, what flight dispatchers have to know, what pilots have to know, what aviation administrators have to know, basically people who run an airport. Um, And it's been my baby. I've been working on it now for about two years. It's completely online. Um, And, you know, something like this is never really done. It's a work in progress. Uh, But I'm hoping that when it's completely 99.9% um, complete, then we push it, um, nationwide. And I'm hoping to get out, hoping to get it out to about 30 to about 35 aviation schools. And, uh, that would be, that would be nice because then I can slow down on my teaching and just manage the book and, you know, make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is educate people, um, in a, in a classroom setting that has become very different over the last year and a half due to the pandemic. Apparently. Uh, and you said you had two things uh, you wanted to discuss briefly. We've got, uh, you know, like three or four minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I, we just finished um, with the AMS planning committee. So I'm on the planning committee for the American Meteorological Society annual conference. Uh, so I'm on the board of higher ed. And one of the things that we had to do was switch the meeting over to completely virtual. Um, it normally is a, either uh, a major city like Boston, Seattle, Houston, Austin, Phoenix, this year was going to be in New Orleans, and it's not. So it's completely virtual. So we're going to be conducting our meetings 
um, online. And um, that in, in itself was a bear to try to make that all work. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting, Mike, for you to have the person that I'm going to be doing a session with, we're co-chairs, and she is a uh, professor of climate and climate change from Central Michigan University. Um, and her name is Daria, I forget, her, I forget her exactly how to pronounce her last name, it's like Claudier, but I can send you the information. Yeah, um, great. That would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, we, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll have you guys on together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in Central Michigan, and and she's wonderful uh, because we've we've kind of communicated back and forth. And her main focus is climate change in the Great Lakes, and and it's really neat because um, one of the great things about the AMS is that you're not only working with people, but you get to kind of work with them on an intimate level where you're sharing ideas about. Uh, you know, why science is doing what it's doing, how to promote the science. And one of the things that we're doing, oh God, that's one of the things that we're doing, um, the session is how to teach, how to continue to teach and teach effectively um, beyond the classroom. And it's been really a challenge for all of us. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what most of the uh, conference will be on. Cool. All right. Yeah. That's great. All right, you got a forecast for us? Yeah. Um, so obviously some clouds today. This is the back end, or I say the north end of a system moving through the central plains. Um, could be some snow across areas of Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri. Um, we're generally going to be right around normal for the next seven days. Um, the next chance of really any snow over us. I'm going to kill my dad. <laughs> right. He's just participating. That's right. He likes your forecast. Uh-oh. Door's closed. Uh-oh. 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 Brother. Well, that's, that's okay. Right. Mine's winding on the front porch saying, can you yes. out now, please? Oh. Um, sorry about that. It's okay. So uh, generally a little bit of snow coming at us on, on uh, Wednesday, but that's going to stay south of us. We stay dry for the next seven days. In fact, next Saturday, which is our next significant chance of precipitation, believe it or not, is going to be in the form of rain. That's right, rain. Okay. So once we get that system through, the next one that comes through is going to be in the form of snow, and that'll be probably on the 21st to 22nd, and it looks like maybe some snow for us on Christmas Eve. So nothing real big, nothing real cold. Uh, the La Nina pattern that we're in is still kind of weak, but more than anything, as long as these systems keep coming in from the Pacific Ocean and the Pacific Ocean remains warm, I don't see anything Arctic coming at us um, until maybe the middle of January at this point. Okie poke. Well, Rick, yeah. uh, have a great week. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, continued good work on your book. And uh, we'll talk to you next uh, Sunday. Sounds good. Take care, uh, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And uh, there we go. Let's uh, do this. Real butter. Yeah, let's throw that in there too. Uh, Why not? What and or, or maybe this one. Real butter. Okay. I want to thank everybody on the show today. Wow, uh, uh, Marty Travis and Michael Cameron and Michael Roper and Lisa Albrecht, of course, Rick DeMaio. Um, Kayla and Kathleen helping out. Um, and don't forget next all, all, all the dogs and cats and all the dogs and cats. And don't forget next Sunday, it's a wonderful slice of It's a Wonderful Life. Until then, go green or go home. 
Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>